0: I mean that, that realizing that kinda of helped me get over like people hating Catholics. I'm like, that's okay, you don't get it, but it's not your fault, you know? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right on. We're gonna go live, it'll be live in a second here, yeah. but that was yeah, awesome. Sounds good. I'm almost mad at We missed that, but
0: <laughs> Oh I, I can repeat it later if you want. You, you can you can feed it to me again and I'll say the same thing.
1: <laughs> that is true. It's like at the end of the day it's uh I always just say it's an inward seeking of God, right? It's you're seeking logos. Yeah. You're seeking truth and love. You're trying to spiritually reunite with your creator. And I mean, we, there can be debates between us or just people out there of like, what's the right way to do that. But I think as long as you're doing that, you're seeking the Lord will find a way of communicating to you and showing you the truth and revealing himself to you yeah. and giving you a chance to repent <laughs> and forgive and become like reunited with him spiritually. Um, and I think, I just personally think like if you're doing that, you could be doing that in a Catholic church on Sunday. You could be doing that in an Orthodox church. you could be doing that in a Baptist church. You could also be going to those churches and not doing that at all. You know, just going through the motions, just totally like heart in the, not, not in the right place, you know? Um, So I think it just varies. I really do think it's like, there's no right answer. The right answer, I guess, would just be, is your heart seeking God? Are you truly trying to, you know, reject the rebellion against god that you once were in and truly seeking to return home to his kingdom with him
0: yeah amen dude that's right yeah
1: (laughs) but sometimes it's hard to explain you know someone just born and raised in a baptist church is just like Oh, uh, these dang orthodox idiots and their <laughs> idols. You know these Catholics and their yes. idols and they're praying to Mary as God or something. Yeah, saying. I
0: I saw someone on oh, I, I should get off <laughs> Twitter. But I, I saw someone on Twitter today calling, uh, like the Catholic Mass satanic worship. Yes, yeah. like <laughs> yeah. yeah. uh, I've never heard that one before. Thanks, you know.
1: <laughs> Whoa, really? Is no. really? <laughs> right on. Well, yeah. All right, we're officially live here with uh. Do you want to use your real name or just your... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I don't hide,
0: man. Yeah. I'm Cameron Dixon.
1: <laughs> Cameron Dixon goes by Praxis of Man. Um, you can find him at PraxisofMan.com, all his amazing blogs, which we'll get into some of them here tonight. They are truly amazing. Um, follow him at Praxis of Man on Instagram. Uh, it's P-R-A-X-I-S-O-F-M-A-N. And uh, Patreon.com slash Praxis of Man, too, um, if you want to support the man and his works um thanks man yeah i just found you a week and a half ago and i've been obsessed <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for coming on i've been reading yeah. like every one of your blogs listening to like your other podcasts that you're on um it's just awesome what you're doing truly thanks man yeah <laughs> and, no i
0: appreciate that a lot
1: yeah yeah, just yeah, we'll get into it, some of it. I'll keep fanboying, fanboying out over you, but uh <laughs> I always want to start off by just asking you if you wanted to like share your testimony, or like your life story, with my fans yeah. and followers and viewers.
0: Yeah, man. So you know, like you said, I've, I've been on a few podcasts before, and it's pretty typical. You know, they'll ask me like, "What's your story? Why are you doing this? What's the point?" And you know, I, I always say the same thing. Like, I wish I had some crazy, dramatic story to share with people of why I started writing blog posts and why I started making, you know, Instagram stuff. And, you know, it's not that uncommon. Lots of people are doing that these days, but, you know, I'm just a normal guy. Like I've been Catholic my whole life. I'm I'm a full-time software engineer. That's my normal, you know, day job. And just like a lot of other men, you know, you grow up in this culture in the modern world and you realize that something is missing. You know, people don't treat uh masculinity with any kind of reverence or respect they they you know they think it's an unhealthy uh force in the world or you know whatever toxic masculinity and and you know i'm obviously not the first person to realize that by any means a lot of people (laughs) are woke up a long time ago and realized like what the hell is going on like you know we had all of these virtues and things we valued in men you know for thousands of years and then all of a sudden they're evil and wrong and we shouldn't be you know striving for that and you know as a result again this is just preaching to the choir because everyone's been saying this like men just don't have a clear identity in the modern world anymore and you know the reason I started writing blog posts was just you know you have all of these ideas floating around in your head and things you want to say kind of like to the world and so I just started saying it <laughs> you know I just started writing I made a website I made an Instagram page. And, you know, I was able to, to get a little bit of an audience. And I've just been going strong ever since. And just, you know, whenever I have something to say, I say it. I don't really schedule posts like, you know, I do this once a week or three times a week. I just write when I want to write and say things when I feel like they need to be said. And, uh, you know, that, that's my story. And I think that a lot of guys are experiencing that same thing where, they grew up in a culture that was really hostile towards, you know, I hate the term traditional masculinity because masculinity doesn't need a qualifier, but people understand what I mean when I say that, so I'm just gonna say it. Yeah. But, um, you know, people understand now growing up in this culture that doesn't uh, respect or try to encourage men to, to uh, be traditionally virtuous and to embody these kind of classical um, ideals for what it means to be a man. You know, we're told that they're harmful nowadays. And it's not good for men. It's not good for the world. It's all part of the patriarchy nonsense that everyone, you know, again, everyone's been talking about this stuff. So, you know, the, I guess the turning point was was this. I had been thinking about doing this for several years, probably since since I was in college. You know, I'm, I'm 27 now, so I graduated college when I was like 22. So, you know, while I was in college, like 2021, 20, I was teaching martial arts at a, a local uh, studio while I was in college. And You know, doing that job, I got to work with a lot of uh, teenagers, especially, and, you know, particularly young men. And just being around them helped me to realize that, you know, men are seriously or young men are seriously lacking that sort of positive encouragement to be what they're naturally born to be. And, you know, that that kind of inspired me to think like, I want to do something about this, you know, I'm working at this job, and I can help be a positive influence to You know 10 or 12 young men at a time but i wanted to do something bigger than that and i want i wanted to see how how much i could kind of spread a positive message about masculinity and so i had thought about starting a blog or a website or something for for a few years and the turning point was actually when my uh, son was born uh, almost two years ago and i realized i'm like i've been putting this thing off you know there's always excuses about Um, You know, I don't have a lot of time. I'm super busy, you know, I have a wife, I have a job, I have a house and all that stuff. But, you know, when my son was born, I realized I don't want him growing up in the world that I grew up in. And I realized that there's a pretty slim chance the world is gonna change a lot, you know, by the time he's five or six or seven, but it can change a little. And I realized that the longer I put it off, the more I'm doing a disservice to him. Because, you know, I'm obviously as a father going to do everything I can to raise him properly and to teach him what it means to be a man and to encourage him to embody those traditional virtues of masculinity. But the problem is that I may appreciate that in him and he may appreciate that in himself one day, but if the world doesn't appreciate that in him, he's going to be missing something. Yeah. So. You know, that was just the turning point for me. Like, I just need to do this because I have a son now and he's gonna grow up really fast and the world is not changing for the better. It's getting worse. And again, I I understand I'm one man writing blog posts and and doing Instagram stuff. And it's not, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I'm not doing this kind of uh, grand scale project, at least not yet. And uh, but it starts that way. And if you have enough men doing this you know there's a pretty big like masculinity space online right now that's carving its way in, in its own corner of the internet and that's all it takes to start you know a movement and to get a lot more men hearing about these things because for a lot of guys and th- this was sort of a more recent realization is that you know I grew up knowing something was wrong but for a lot of guys they don't know that because they're sort of inculcated in this culture that doesn't really tell them that like this is uh what it used to be like it's a completely ignored and the only things they hear about masculinity are bad things it's not like it's not like how i grew up where it's hearing like you know from my father from my friends from my you know from priests and stuff about like this positive healthy way a man should be and then you hear it from the world on the other hand that that contradicts them for a lot of guys they don't hear that positive side at all they only hear the negative so they grow up kind of in a way like Brainwashed into thinking this certain thing about masculinity and then they have no idea of what it means to be a man. It's like they know what what society is telling them it doesn't mean to be a man, but they don't know what it means. And then yeah. society has no interest in telling them. <laughs> you know, they don't, they don't want them to. <laughs> yeah. So the thing is like men just need to see other men being men. That That's the solution here. And, and the problem is most men either don't know or can't or don't feel like uh it's right for them to do it or they're going to get a lot of backlash from people in their life or from the world or whatever so you know really the solution to that is just to have men start to see and be influenced by other men who are, are promoting this positive message of masculinity and not hiding behind it out of fear of retaliation so you know if i had to summarize my story that, that's really it i'm just a normal dude who saw a problem just like many other guys And decided to just start talking about it because once it's out in the open and you start talking about these issues other men may be exposed to sort of this um actual masculine presence for the first time in their life and that's a powerful thing because you know he can have that one man can have his mind changed and change his life and then he can affect other men and there's sort of that generational escalation where you know maybe for generations and generations the men in his his family line were sort of declining and they were becoming less and less masculine, less and less strong, less and less courageous. But then it takes one guy to change that. And then he teaches his son what it means to be a man. and His son teaches his sons. And then before you know it, you've reversed course and that can start with just a few people talking about this stuff in the open. So.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. That's um, I love that point. Like men have to see men being men. (laughs) <laughs> but more importantly, like boys need to see men being men. You know, it's really yeah. important that we, yeah, like we have to rebuild each other, right? Like our peers <laughs> who are pretty broken and weak and, you know, that's not a, by accident really. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's
0: it's the old adage from, from the Bible, right? Like iron sharpens iron. Yeah. People know what that means and it's so true. Like I, I was in Boy Scouts growing up and, you know, Boy Scouts used to be great, <laughs> like, you know, 50 years ago but it's become a shell of itself now. And what used to be like a great space for, you know, young men to build camaraderie and be around other young men their age and around older men who are positive influences, doing, you know, masculine things, cultivating camaraderie and friendship and actually developing virtue from a young age, as, as just, it, that's all gone. You know, Boy Scout is nowadays is basically like a glorified wilderness club. And I experienced <laughs> that firsthand. and. You know, there were aspects of it that were great i have my two best friends were with me in boy scouts and they were both you know uh both my best men at my wedding and one of them is uh you know the god godfather of my son like we're great we're, we've been friends our whole life and boy scouts played a huge role in that but i realized that it wasn't really scouts that was doing that it was just us being around each other a lot because because we happen to be doing that together but the actual activities we were doing didn't really cultivate that and it, it's sad because so many more you know men's only spaces are being turned to in, turned into unisex or or even worse they're being turned into women's spaces yeah so it, it it's yeah it's not good
1: yeah i heard that's cuz it's not boy scouts anymore right it's just scouts right. and it's you know yeah so now yeah, you no, i don't have think boys becoming like, men you have yeah. boys and girls just trying to what date <laughs> yeah. impress each other act awkward around each other it's not like a that's safe it. space I hate using that word, but like a, a you know a place, a private place for boys to be boys and boys to learn how to become men. It's now this like weird social club where it's. I don't want to offend people. <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to say the wrong thing. Uh, yeah, it's. Yeah, I mean that's, that's
0: where we're at. Where telling telling people that this is a boys only space is offensive. Yeah. It's it's like what. Like we've always had boys only and women's only spaces. like, that's always been a thing. And now that's offensive to say like men and women are, are fundamental I mean, I, like, I almost feel like saying this and harping on this is stupid at this point because everyone knows the world is so screwed up. Like I, you know, I'm saying all these things that are wrong with the world and everyone's like, yeah, I know. You know, we have a, a freaking man competing in women's swim meets. Like how much more clown world is it going, you know, can it get at this point?
1: don't challenge, and and don't just challenge complaining him. about
0: these things <laughs> just isn't going to help it, it, you know yeah. it, it's hard not to but yeah yeah
1: well like you said i mean that's that was amazing so many amazing points you brought up in that um opening but like it's so crucial to do anything to help right even if it's just some blog that two people read even if it's yeah. like just it, just doing something is putting positive change out there and it, you might be planting some seeds that you don't You'll never know. <laughs> You'll never see the yeah. fruit that, that develops from it. And especially too, like you are saying, like for your son, like if you can just make the world a better place, even in your house, that's going to make a big impact on your son. Then take a, a step forward. Maybe you're going to help your community a little bit. Maybe your friends and family are now being inspired and being like challenged and pushed and they're learning, you know, because of what you're, the work, you're doing, whatever it may be, um, not just you, but just anyone out there, you know, generalizing this. And then you take that to your church you know and then you take that to and you you can start like those spheres of influence can start increasing like a ripple like a like a puddle hitting a pond <laughs> those ripples <clears> can go out in every direction and at the end of the day like even if it's just your family even if it's just a handful of people around you your coworkers, your friends your family a couple people in church that makes a big difference and if everyone starts doing that that makes a massive difference there's no oh, like hard, oh it doesn't really matter no one's reading my blog it's like well, the four people that read your blog could actually go out and do some incredible stuff and that all sparked because of your blog, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I think that change, be the change you want to be in the world, or you want to see in the world, is very true. It's not just oh, a yeah. bumper sticker or some like, oh, I'll pat you on the back and make you feel good. <laughs> it, really yeah, people, yeah, it really does c- cliches work.
0: Cliches are interesting because people hear them all the time, but because of that, they stop taking them seri- Seriously. Yeah. Like, yeah, be the change yeah. you want to be in the world. Like, oh, that that's just like, a, you know, whatever. I've heard that a million <laughs> times. It's like, you've heard it a million times, but you've never a- actually implemented it. So, like, did you actually hear it? Yeah. it you yeah. know, I'm not saying every cliche is good, <laughs> but people tend to just ignore them on their face because they're so used to hearing them. It kind of cheapens it. But it's like if you haven't actually done anything with that idiom or whatever, like you didn't actually hear it. You know, yeah. that's good advice. Be the change you want to see in the world. Like that, that's actually true, but most people just ignore it. They're so like, yeah, like that's just a cliche talking yeah. point. Like no one cares, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just a harp on that real quick.
1: It's like, yeah, just our world is so big. I don't know the right phrase to use for that. Like so globalized or whatever, everything's so widespread that like people think like, yeah. unless you're president, you can't make change. And people think like, oh, only the president. Like how many people are just like, Trump's going to save us. Only Trump can save us. And now that Trump's gone, it's like, we're doomed. We're ruined. He was our guy. He was our one guy that was going to save us. It's like, well, all of us are going to save us. Yeah, pe- <laughs> One guy in office who, isn't yeah. just the only solution to all of our problems. Like we are the solution. And we, we yeah, like, people who lose say our things power like that. when we give our power to one person, you know?
0: Yeah, people who say things like that, it's just an, it's just an excuse to not take responsibility yeah. for yeah. their life. You exactly. know, if they can blame somebody else who has power and influence for not doing what they want them to do, it's like a really easy way to make themselves feel like they're helping. Like, oh, I voted for him. Like I did my part. Like, really? That's the <laughs> level of, you know, what we expect from you as a member of your community or of your tribe or of your family. It's like, I put my name in the hat to, to, to choose that guy to do my job for me. Like it's, yeah. it's absolute <laughs> nonsense, you know? And then we care about things that are never going to affect us. Like all these global conflicts, everything going on. It's like, I'm not saying these things aren't important, but people care so much about things they have absolutely no control over. And then we'll just completely ignore the problems like right in their own house. You know, they may, they'll have like a terrible relationship with their kids or with their wife. And then, but they spend their whole day like bitching about Ukraine on Twitter. Yeah. And it's like, it's like really, is that a good use of your time? Cause you could, you know, go make love to your wife or like spend time with your kids and do something useful and valuable and noble, but you'd rather make yourself feel good by complaining about what other people are doing wrong. It's this really twisted way of you know, patting yourself on the back, like, oh, I have all the right opinions. Like, good for me. It's like, no, not good for you. Like, I don't care what you think if you don't do anything about it. You know, it. it, it, yeah, it's really silly.
1: (laughs) It's so true, man. Everything, yeah. Yeah, building, not breaking. Like, if you're just complaining about stuff and you're trying to stop people from doing stuff, you know, okay, I get it. Like, if you're trying to stop evil from spreading, that's one thing. But People get this mindset of like being breakers. Like, I'm going to break, I'm going to break and break and I'm going to destroy and I'm going to stop. And at the very least, I'm just going to complain and be negative about it. It's like, or mm-hmm. you could go over there and start building. <laughs> you could go start building yeah. yourself up, your family up, your community up, your church up. Like, you could start being a positive change and let that evil happen over there.
0: Yeah, you know? evil spreads when you ignore the problems in your own house. Like that. I'm just yeah. 100% convinced yeah. of that. You know, when you ignore what's happening right in front of you to go complain about something that you actually have no control over, it's a, it's a total waste of energy. You know, you, you cannot affect everything, especially huge global issues or national issues or whatever. So if you ignore the problems in your house, like that's going to fester and eventually it's going to get out of control and it's going to feed into, you know, these bigger global problems. You know, it starts in the it starts in the family when you have millions of families falling into chaos, that is what causes huge global conflicts. And you stop that by actually paying attention to your your tribe, your family, your friends and making sure that you're squared away. And if everybody does that, you know, it it really makes it difficult for evil to spread because everyone's kind of controlling their own space. And when you ignore that that responsibility that's when bad things end up happening in the long term but people for some reason don't realize that like and it's frustrating to see you know all of these people getting mad especially the past like five or six years in u.s politics i hate talking about politics but you know everyone's way of um contributing to that is just just noise like just verbal whatever you know they they pay lip service to their ideas and then they never do anything and what ends up happening is like i said before you just have a whole country of people who think that their job is to put their name in a hat and not to actually help their community i mean how many people do you know have super strong political opinions but don't attend their like local legislature meetings and stuff yeah they're not involved in local politics at all and it's like you actually have a a much bigger opportunity to impact your life, even your life, make your life better by being involved in your community. But that takes responsibility. You actually have to be held to task for your words. When you, when you have opinions about local politics, it's like, okay, you, you have an opinion about something you can actually affect. So you have to be held responsible for that. You know, I can, I can, tell people to, I'm blue in the face what I think the president of the United States should do, but I'm never going to be president. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like I will never be held responsible for my opinions about, you know, national politics. But if I have an opinion about what I think my local community should be doing better and I don't do that thing, well, then I'm a hypocrite and I demonstrably a hypocrite. So, you know, people like to have opinions on things that they're not gonna be held responsible for because it's so safe. Like I can just tell people what I think about whatever. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: And and that that's one of the reasons, by the way, why I chose not to be like one of these anonymous Greek statue accounts on Instagram. Like there's just no end to those <laughs> accounts that have men who they're anonymous, they don't use their real name and they never show pictures of themselves. And <laughs> yeah. they just post yeah. like inspirational quotes and all kinds of other platitudes that, you know, may or may not be true, but they're never held accountable for their opinions because yeah. no one knows who they are. No one knows what they look like. No one knows their past, their history or whatever. And I'm not, I'm not saying that every person on the internet is needs to know your entire life story, but like use your real name, show your face and stand by the opinions that you, you put out there into the world. Because yeah. then you're actually held responsible. If I'm going to talk about masculinity, but then... I don't actually make an effort to be masculine. Then what am I what am I doing? People are just going to not listen to me. Yeah. And that that's fine. That they would be they would do well not to if that <laughs> were the case. Yeah. You know, tr- trust me, it's yeah. I have a real job. Like there's plenty of things I say on the internet that I'm sure my boss probably wouldn't be happy to hear that I say. And, you know, I'm not like a, a terribly controversial person, but you know, my opinion about most things is not the status quo. And, and same with most guys in this like masculinity space on the internet. But that was a risk I decided to take because, hey, like, if I if I think that this is a real problem, we need real solutions and we need real people, not anonymous, you know, accounts on the internet to actually make a change. And that's fine. Like, there's a downside to that for sure, because there's risk. But I, I would rather be authentic and actually put something on the line than just be telling men how I think that they should live their life. But then not, not be living my life that way. You know, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. Everybody does, but at least I'm willing to like show people that aspect to show people that, that I'm not perfect, which is a much more serious and a much more masculine thing to do. You know, men being around other men, you're held accountable to the opinions of the guys around you. You know, you can't be a piece of shit hanging out with, with a group of guys, they will call you on that. You know, and if if you're not actually standing by your word and and living up to what, who you say you are, the men in your life will, will take you to task for that and they'll make fun of you. They'll tease you. They'll give, you know, they'll give you a hard time and that's good. That's good behavior. You know, I'm not saying you need to bully each other to the point where, where, you know, you hate yourself, but men have a way of holding each other accountable and making sure that you know the people in your your tribe in your group your close group of guys are not um you know just puffing their chest out and saying a bunch of nonsense that they don't actually believe so
1: (laughs) such good points yeah having skin in the game is so crucial you're gonna stand up you know you can't hide you can't run and hide behind your your stuff you know you have to make what you're saying be important and be meaningful and matter. It <laughs> can't just Absolutely. be copy and paste stuff or, yeah. you know, insults that you can just run away from or whatever. Yeah.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. that's, and then also like just being humble and yeah, being willing to admit when you're wrong, like that really trips people up too, where they want to like create this like persona of like, I'm so smart. I'm so correct. Everyone should listen to me. And then like, mm-hmm. uh, what if you're wrong about this thing? Are you going to just blindly keep saying, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right? Or are you going to humble yourself, admit you're wrong publicly? Like, I've had to do that on my streams, you know? Like, I'm a new Christian. Like, I, in 2019, yeah. I encountered Christ for the first time. So I've been on this like trial and error journey of like, what is right, what is wrong? I get, I read, you know, two books of the Bible and I'm like, oh man, this really makes sense. And then someone's like, eh, but what about this? (laughs) What about these verses? What about this concept? And it's like, ooh, yeah, that's right. Maybe I shouldn't have spoke so soon. But if you're willing to just be like, look, I'm wrong. Like, I'm wrong because this scripture is right. And like, I misinterpreted this thing. I didn't understand this part. And now I understand what I said previously was wrong. I'm sorry about that, guys. Here's what I believe to be the truth now. And also, hey, maybe I'll be proven wrong again, you know? And if that happens, then I'll come back to you guys and admit that. And I think that's so crucial for men to do in general, like be an honorable man, like be one who, you know, speaks the truth, lives by the truth, dies by the truth, you know? And I mean, that's what God wants us to do anyways, right? He wants us to seek him, seek the truth, seek love. And if we're not doing that, if it's just some self-serving, like I want to look good on the internet, (laughs) I want to make money off of people by what I do on the internet or whatever, like it's going to come crashing down one way or another, you know, in this life or the next, yeah. it's going to fall on you. and It's not going to be pretty. So yeah, that's such a yeah. crucial point to <laughs> make.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Humility is important. I mean, no one likes someone who pretends to know everything. I certainly don't. I say what I think is true. Yep. And then if people disagree, I'm definitely, I'm, will, I'm always willing to have a conversation. That, I think that's the key is, you know, you have two kinds of people. You have the people who think they're right all the time and are totally Will shut down anyone who criticizes their thoughts, but then you also have people who who try to engage with other people's ideas in a really disingenuous way. So it's a it's a careful balance. Like I don't listen to the opinions of every single person on the internet because you know, like I, I was telling you before, we went live. Like th- there's no shortage of people who are going to insult you and call you names and just like say stupid things uh, you know about you and, and about what you're saying and that's fine like if they're going to insult you i just don't take their ideas seriously because if they had a valid critique they would just say that yeah because that that's way more powerful than saying like oh you're an idiot or you're stupid or your ideas are dumb it's like you basically just told me you have no intelligent response to what i said and you're mad about it so you're just going to insult me. and like that's fine it, like it makes me laugh yeah. honestly but then you do have people <laughs> who are genuinely like i disagree with you and here's why and they do it in a genuine way. And I'm like, yeah, more power to you. Like I, I would love to have these conversations with you because number one, it, it's good that we're just having these conversations in the first place. Like I don't need to be right. I didn't start, you know, writing blog posts and making Instagram stuff to be to show people how much I know and how right I am. I did all this to start a conversation and to spread my ideas and if my ideas are garbage then i want people to tell me so i can learn the truth you know and that 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 takes a bit of epistemic like humility to realize that the things you thought were true might not be and you know i have my convictions just like everybody you know i'm i'm like i said in the beginning i'm a devout catholic obviously that comes with its own set of dogma that i believe and have believed for most of my life and of course i've investigated it and and i've done my due diligence and approached my own, you know, religious tradition with a skeptical eye to see if I truly believe this to be the truth. But that doesn't mean that I'm I'm against people saying they think I'm wrong, and I'm always willing to discuss that with, you know, with other people. Everybody has their their kind of personal dogma that they they hold to, things that they sort of uh, presuppose to be true about reality, about the universe, about morality, whatever, and that's fine. We all have that. And, you know, the point is not to bicker all day uh, to be like, oh, look, I'm more right than you. And, and yeah, I want an internet point. You know, the point is to get to the truth, whatever whatever that is, everyone should desire to know the truth. There's really I, I've never encountered a good argument for why, uh, you know, not knowing the truth is better, because even if the truth is painful or, or kind of difficult for you to accept, it's always better for you to know that than to hide from it. You know, so I think that if if everybody approaches their interactions with other people as an understanding of like, we're all searching for the truth, then, you know, that, that kind of will help, will help smooth over a lot of these interactions where you assume the best in the person talking to you. And you try to make it apparent that you're, you're not trying to be right. You're trying to, um, you know you're trying to understand the world better and of course you have like i said you have bad actors who it's obvious aren't interested in either of those and those are the people you just cast to the side and you don't give any attention <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> yeah
1: yeah band <laughs> move along yeah, yeah. yeah i, think I don't as- i don't
0: block many people but when you're if someone's really annoying and yeah. it's a waste of my time to talk to them then yeah yeah
1: my rule is I always try to engage. I try to like, okay, can we turn this into a conversation? Can we turn this into like a gospel con- like a gospel message or something? And if it just keeps being some kind of like insulting or really just really idiotic thing or stupid anger, you know, I just block. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the new thing is on TikTok, I get like literal Satanists coming at me. And I, I will still, I kind of, I'm still just like, you know what? Maybe today is the day. Maybe God had to really just put this person in front of me with anger and hate in their heart, and they're coming with a mocking, and they're they're coming with like condescension, and they're trying to tear me down and ruin my day. And I'm gonna be the light. (laughs) I'm still gonna shine that light on them. And then if they still are just rejecting that and denial of it, and still coming with just hate and fear. It's like, all right, I just don't need you on my page, you know? Um, Yeah,
0: there's this idea, you know, that people kind of misunderstand about Christianity, this whole, like, turn the other cheek, love your enemies stuff. You know, and people kind of mistake that as like, oh, you should just let yourself get beat up and never fight back. Yeah. But that's not the point. You know, the, the point is that by actually showing kindness and love towards other people, even when they're hateful towards you, you disarm Satan against yourself the yeah. the point is not necessarily you know okay i'll say it this way the whole point is not just to like love the person in front of you the, whole, the point is to to love yourself and to do what's good for yourself and hating other people is not good for you right that that will fester and that's actually bad for your own soul to 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 hate another person yeah it's also it's bad for them because you shouldn't treat other human beings that way even your enemies but it's also bad for you to hate other people. So by choosing to love another person, even your enemy, the idea is that the theological idea is that you're disarming, you know, kind of this spiritual attack that's coming towards you. This temptation to let that anger affect you in a bad way, because then the enemy wins. You know, if, if their goal is to hurt you and you give in to hate, they're they're hurting you. You didn't you didn't deflect their attack. You didn't do anything. You surrendered to you know, what, what they were trying to do to you and this idea that, you know, we need to love other people, you know, love, love. I've written blog posts about this before many many times, because it's one of the things I think that people most misunderstand in our society is that love is not a feeling, you know, love is not a attachment to another person. You know, when you love somebody, you, you build attachment, but that feeling of attachment of like fondness is not love. Love, at least in the Catholic understanding, is an act of the will, meaning when I love someone, I, I, I desire what is good for them for their sake, not for mine. See, I, I can desire good for another person so that it'll benefit me. That's not loving someone. Even if I desire what's good for them, I'm still like in a way trying to use that person for my own benefit. So the, the, the Catholic understanding of love is that love is to will the good of the other as other meaning for their own sake, not for mine. Now, when it comes to loving your enemies, what it's saying is that you should will the good of your enemies. Sometimes enacting justice on your enemy is doing what is good for them. Right? Because because justice, theologically understood, is kind of setting things the way that they should be. And sometimes it's an act of mercy to actually, um, enact justice on your enemy. You know, that that's why Christians are not opposed to violence completely. Right. It's not like we, we're not pacifists. It, it, you know, we have just times where we believe it's morally acceptable to use violence, to protect innocent life, you know, to, to wage a just war under very you know specific circumstances if it need if it need be so you know this idea that loving your enemy means like we're pacifists and that we never fight back is total nonsense like that's not what christians believe about a love or about justice or about you know having enemies the idea is that you should obviously will what is good for your enemy and if if what is good for your enemy is to be converted you know to to the christian religion uh, you know, any, anyone who's honest about that would, about any religion would say that that's their, would be their goal is to convert everyone over to their religion. You know, I'm not saying that that's plausible, it's going to happen, or that I'm, I'm always trying to convert people. But if you have a religious belief, a worldview, you obviously think it's correct. So you obviously would want other people to think the way you do. That's just honesty about, you know, your beliefs. But anyway, like, to recenter here, the idea is that, you know, you want what is truly good for your enemy, what good does it do you to hate them and want bad things to happen to them? Like, okay, you got your revenge, your retribution, whatever. But like, how does that actually help you in the long run? Yeah. You might feel good about it in the time, but that doesn't actually mean it helped you in any way. And, and there is a sense in which you sort of gave up a piece of yourself to get revenge and retribution on somebody. Yeah. And it's like, is that actually good for you? You know, you may have all this anger and hatred towards your enemies, towards another person who harmed you, but like the best revenge is to not let that hurt you in any way. It's like, it just bounces off of me. Yep. And that that's what I mean when I say like to love your enemy understood properly is not be a pacifist and just let them destroy you. It's actually the opposite. It's specifically choosing not to let their hatred for you destroy yourself. Yep. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, Romans twelve is a good one where uh, Paul's explaining like what to do when evil comes after you like that, and it's like yeah. rain down love on them. And like you said, yeah, like love is not like a feeling and an emotion as much as the screens yeah. give and the give people of this hug, culture you know, like, want to tell you. It's it's just feeling good inside. <laughs> yeah. No, love yeah, is love, is love man, and love you know? comes from the source. You know, like we get our love from God, and it's an action that we redistribute out into the world for others. And yeah, that's so crucial. Like, and I think the phrasing Paul, Paul uses like heaping coals on on their head, but it's like, you're doing that with like forgiveness and understanding and compassion.
2: Yeah.
1: And that's not weakness. That's not like, I mean, the what the phrase he's using is like a violent act, like <laughs> dumping a pile of burning hot coals onto somebody, you know, but you're not physically doing that. You're doing that with like godly discernment and like godly, like inspirational, acts of pure love pure truth
0: yeah it goes back to what we were just talking about with you know handling haters on the internet yeah you know their goal is to to get a a rise out of you they want to make you mad and the best way to get back at them is to not care (laughs)
1: yeah Yeah.
0: you know it's like i don't care
1: yeah and they're trying to they're in rebellion against god and they're trying to get you to join them they're trying to divert your path your walk away from god and towards whatever whatever else that's not him yeah Yeah. And that's yeah i mean satan has no power over you that you don't give to him right so like these evil people like you lose like you're saying like when you give into that when you respond with hatred when you respond with anger and fear and doubts and worries and all this stuff they're just like all you have to do is say no all you have to do is reject it you know and just trust god and keep being close to the shepherd trusting him following him and we lose when we give in to evil evil can't take us you know <laughs> yeah um yeah um i want to ask to um you kind of touched on it a little bit but uh, i wanted to ask my girlfriend in the chat is asking what's your son's name i don't know if you want to give that out or not
0: but she uh, says, probably not yeah, yeah. But uh, like she, i said I'm, i i choose to meet
1: the public yeah.
0: but I, I will i'll yeah. protect my son i i appreciate it she's just obsessed with baby names yeah i understand it's probably a pure intention just, just for the yeah. sake of his privacy I'm, I'm gonna keep his name to us for now but yeah
1: but she says i bet he's precious and... he is yes. <laughs>
0: i love him very much
1: and what i wanted to he's ask awesome, not dude. the name not doxing your son What i wanted to ask is has having a son changed you and in what ways like have you yeah, noticed the that's a sense? that's a
0: pretty typical question and it's it's kind of hard to answer. Um I think the way it's changed me the most is you know understanding that leg- my my legacy is now going to be carried on in him and whatever other children my wife and I end up having. You know they they're the most you know I I, de- I define legacy this way. Le- legacy is your ability to impact the world after you die. You know, and, and I would say that can be good or bad because yeah. people can have a, a bad legacy yeah. in, in the sense that whatever they did in their life, you know, however they acted out in the world, after they die, that remains. And, and people will have like a tarnished legacy in the sense that people won't think fondly of you after you die because that's what your legacy was. You know, your legacy has been a stain on human history. Whatever, wow, just, yeah. just to be kind of dramatic about it.
1: <laughs> That's powerful. Now, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. So so the idea of legacy is, is your ability to impact the world after you die. Now, for a lot of people, it might be that they were an author and they wrote a, a very powerful book. And that book will be read by people for hundreds of years after they die. That's a powerful legacy. Yeah. You know, your thoughts, your ideas are... In a sense, immortal, because you are going to be influencing the thoughts of other people after you're in the grave. That's a powerful legacy. But I will say that I think the most powerful legacy is leaving other human people around after you die to impact the world. Absolutely. And there's this sense in which my actions are not just affecting me anymore. You know, they affect my family my wife, my son, and again, if we have more kids, those those children. So, you know, how it's changed me is that everything I do is understood through this lens of sort of, uh, uh, of this eternity. Because if I fail to raise my children, well, they will probably fail to change to, to, to raise their children well. And then that's a that's a really powerful legacy but in in the negative sense so you know if if i had to pick one way in which it changes me more than anything it's that when i wake up in the morning like i'm not really living for myself anymore it's this kind of surrendering of like i have work to do but it's not for me and i I, you know it doesn't mean that i don't take my own well-being into consideration i obviously do but my well my my well-being my concern for my well-being will be will end when i'm dead you know because i'll be dead but the well-being of my family is going to exist in perpetuity through my genera through the generations that come from me and my wife yep. so if i'm not constantly aware of that then i'm really just abandoning any chance i have to influence the world in a positive way and to build a legacy. I think people sometimes think about legacy in like a, a selfish way. It's like, I want people to think good things about me after I'm gone. And I, I understand that. But um, I, I I don't find that to be a particularly uh, good thing. Yeah. If you're just concerned about your own image. Yeah. That's just pride.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but if, yeah.
0: if you're concerned about the world, You know, especially like you said, as Christians, like what's the mission here? The mission is not like, I want people to think I was a good person after I die so that they, you know, have good memories of me and then whatever. Like that's a pretty shallow view of of human life. Like the goal is to get as many people to be united with God for all of eternity. You know, we, we as human beings sort of join in the redemption of the world in that sense. That we we can help gather people into Christ. And my ability to do that is of course, very powerful now as I'm a living creature acting in the world, but I have the ability to continue to do that after I'm gone. And that's kind of the, uh, the understanding of like saints in the Catholic tradition. And like I'm sure you're familiar you know, we have these figures that we venerate and we talk about all the time because they're in a sense, heroes. And they continue to influence the world through that legacy that they have. In a sense, you know, they're remembered for their greatness, yeah. and and so they have the ability—not not just because we believe that they are still, you know, beings that that can influence influence the world after death, because that's kind of the understanding of a saint, right? But but also just through the inspiration that they give through their life, and why there's there's this whole. You know, genre of liter- literature called hagiography, which is like dedicated to the lives of saints and 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 telling their story almost as if they're like legends or myths. You know, St. Patrick's Day was just a few days ago, and you know, a lot of people celebrate or 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 at least um, what's the word? They they observe St. Patrick's Day for pretty secular reasons, where they just like <laughs> used to go drink and party. Like I yeah, I get it. Whatever you know, the Irish pride thing. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, that that's the, the idea is like that's not really the point of St. Patrick's Day. You know, he has a story and people may complain about, oh, it's myth. It's like not all of it is true. and Like that's just a stupid way to look at things. Like there's so much of our history that we have no way of knowing whether it's true or not. But that just that's not the point. The point is like, how, what is this story? telling us about the cosmos about human life about what it means to be human what it means to be a good person there, there's all of these aspects of the story like if the only important thing to you is like did this actually happen in history like that's a dumb yeah. thing to that just i just it just is like that's a stupid way to look at um to look at history is is to focus too much on whether or not it physically happened. Like, that's a very materialist view of the world. It's like, things are only important if they really happened. And it's like, does it matter if it happened or not, if it actually has a positive influence on the world? You know, I'm not saying the the legends of St. Patrick are are all false, but by no means. But this idea that, um, you know, these stories can impact us, you know, hundreds or thousands of years later is powerful. And it just goes back into that idea of legacy. Like, what are you leaving behind after you're gone? Is it a net good for the world or are you sort of detracting from you know human existence by your life? And I think that that's a pretty good heuristic to use for like whether or not you lived the good life, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of like um, like Aesop's Fables. Like they didn't yeah. happen, right? They're not real. But how much truth is in them? Right. Like, yes, that thing did not happen. But when you read it, you don't have to be like, oh, this this didn't happen. That's not real. That, that person, that character in the story is not real. That's This is all dumb. Or can mm-hmm. you actually learn some valuable information from that? Can you be inspired by it? Can you, you know, the parables of Jesus, like, they could have been real. <laughs> it could have been Jesus, like, really talking about real events in the past or it could just be like examples that can provide so much truth and insight and inspiration for us. And like Mm -hmm. to better understand our actual real world using these fake scenarios, you know, like that are relatable.
0: Yeah, Um, I'm, I'm not a biblical literalist. Like I don't believe that the right way to interpret the Bible is to read it like a historical text. Like there's obviously as a Christian and as a Catholic specifically, there are events in the scriptures that I believe really happened in history. Like, I have to believe that to be a Christian. You know, if you don't believe the resurrection (laughs) literally happened, it's like, I'm not really sure why you're a Christian. But regardless, that doesn't mean that every single sentence in the Bible is should be interpreted literally. You know, people have a a tendency and this is going to be, you know, me as a Catholic speaking a lot of like uh, protestants for example might disagree with this not not throwing shade or anything can just, hear, you know, i can hear my way. friends
1: in my head right now like yeah disagreeing yeah. with this get this right. guy off screen yeah but, uh,
0: <laughs> the bible is not a history textbook it's actually not just one book it's you know 70 whatever books well, it's many many genres of literature.
1: protestant and then right, right if you're catholic and then yeah exactly exactly like,
0: you know. yeah exactly <laughs> so the
1: bible
0: (laughs) yeah 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 they they got the they got the full version over there yeah but um you know the the point is not that the bible is a history text like that's just the wrong way to view it to me you know there's many genres of literature in the bible you know there's religious poetry there's like psalms that are, are really just like songs or prayers in a sense you know there are narrative books which are describing events but you know for some of them they could be symbolic and and it doesn't mean that that that's the trick is it doesn't mean it didn't happen it means that reading literalism into the text is not necessarily accurate and here's a good example i like to use right like is is shakespeare true you know there are stories that shakespeare wrote but does that mean there's no truth in shakespeare you know the events of Shakespeare didn't happen, but does that mean that his works are useless because what he's talking about didn't happen? Like that's just that—that that would be a total. Everyone would agree that that would be a gross injustice to the value of Shakespeare's work. And you could pick any any author. You know, there's a profound truth to be found in Shakespeare and in other mythology. That is very very true. It might not be true in the sense that it happened literally in history at a certain time in a certain place yeah but that doesn't mean that there's nothing useful to be found there so we we need to be careful to to read the bible and the scriptures the way that they should be read which is different depending on what you're reading you know what yeah. one, one interesting thing is like people will go back and read the creation story in genesis and not real there's two creation stories there's genesis 1 and genesis 2 and they don't say the same thing does that mean that it's you know what what do you do with that if you're a literalist you know god contradicting himself through, through the written word um you know and another thing is like for example at, at the end of uh, of christ's life you know he ascends into heaven and, and the scripture says he goes up into heaven does that mean that Christ literally like rose up into the sky and then went through the atmosphere and went into outer space and like heaven is up there somewhere? You know, that that's, we, we accept sort of non-literal interpretations of certain passages because we know that that's nonsense. We know Christ didn't like float up through the atmosphere, through the clouds and go into some planet somewhere that's above the earth. Right? So... Or... <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe there are people who believe that but but there's this idea right is that not everything is is literal and 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 to say that truth only matters if it literally happened like that or or that's the pinnacle of truth or things that literally happen is such a material way of looking at the world like you're putting so much stock in this physical world that as a christian you claim is not everything that exists so that that's just my two cents on, on that issue. I'm sure there's people who disagree and I, that's okay. If you disagree with me, I'm, I'm fine with that. But I don't think that a literal interpretation is the way to do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, I wanted to ask you, what is a man and what is a woman?
0: <laughs> it's a good question. It's an important question.
1: <laughs> it ha- sadly, so, yeah. that has to be asked and addressed in uh, our modern times.
0: <laughs> yeah. So there's a few ways you can answer this question. And I, I prefer to take, um, you know, there's a scientific reality to that. And there's a metaphysical reality to that. So trying to define a man or a woman, like using uh, biology, you know, there are obvious uh, standards of the way that like, human beings work, you know, you can be very general and just say men have, you know, male genitalia, and women have female genitalia. Yeah. The problem is that there are exceptions to that, of course, with like actual people with, um, you know, intersex conditions and, and, uh, you know, with with some kind of um, disorders that change their genetic makeup where it's ambiguous. Yeah. So, you know, there's always exceptions to rules. And so I think I would, I would tend to use metaphysical language and say that, you know, a man is an adult human being that's ordered towards insemination. And when I say ordered towards, the reason I say that is because obviously not every man can actually uh, procreate for whatever reason. You know, that doesn't mean that he's not a man because he can't fulfill that function whether it's because of an injury whether it's because of like a, just a genetic disorder Yeah. so to say like a man is someone who can who can uh you know produce sperm or something it's like not every man can do that but that doesn't mean he's not a, a man right so we we use the the language ordered to, and i'll get to kind of why this is important Is because yeah. from at least Uh, a philosophical point of view. You know, we have an essence to us that makes us what we are. You know, we participate in a pattern of being that makes us what we are. Aquinas has an interesting uh, way of dealing with this because there's actually a big debate in, uh, you know, specifically within Christian Christianity of whether or not souls have a gender. Now, the the typical view, or at least the, the typical Catholic view is that they do not. That human souls are are not gendered but that doesn't mean that we aren't gendered because what aquinas would at least say is that our accidental properties in our biology in our bodies right because souls are embodied we don't believe that we have a soul we don't believe that we have a body we believe that we are a body and soul so That means that the body and the soul are pretty much inseparable in in at least how we live our life right now in, in a physical space. So the idea is that these accidental properties affect our soul in such a way that it changes kind of the essence of what we are. That being a male, a biological male, orders me towards a specific role in creation. And let's say for women, right? And you you can understand these in symbolic symbolic patterns with order and chaos, with um, giver and receiver, you know, penetrator and receptor. These are kind of high level symbolic understandings of the masculine and the feminine archetypes. And they're useful because they tell us things about what a man is ordered towards and what a woman is ordered towards. And while, you know, depending on where you fall on this, this issue of the the gendered soul, right, it doesn't really matter because now in this life, we have a a biological reality. We call these accidental properties in philosophy and accidental property is like a property you have that you don't need to be what you are. So, for example, I have blue eyes. I wouldn't be a different kind of creature if I had brown eyes. I would still be a human being. So that's uh, that's an accidental property. And our gender is actually considered, at, at least in my tradition, right? In the way I think philosophically is actually an, an accidental property, meaning that I wouldn't be not human if I wasn't a man, right? Men and women are both equally human, but these are accidental properties that have real effect on who we are and they affect our being in such a way that that orders us towards a different, uh, a different mode of being. So to say, you know, we are meant for different things we are meant to do different things by our nature, by those essential properties that make us who we are. So, you know, it's always hard to define like strictly what a man is, but you you can say that a man is, is someone who is ordered towards masculinity or a woman is ordered towards femininity in the sense that they're the type of being that participates in those patterns and they of course have concrete biological realities i don't want people to think that what i'm saying is that it doesn't matter what you are you can be that that this that or whatever other else those biological realities you know actual human sex impact us in such a way that we are distinctly different things we're both human but we're different kinds of humans and it and it changes what we're ordered towards and what we're meant for that makes sense
1: yeah yeah, I mean, and you kind of touched on some of the, some of the key points, but, um, that article you wrote about like the masculine versus feminine authoritarianism. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely everyone out there. Go check it out on his website. Um, it's great. Thanks, man. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you touched on like, it, it's kind of like the, in summary, like it, the abusive father versus like the overprotective mother. And how like men are just more designed for order and logic and reason instincts, whereas women are more like safety and shelter and security instincts. And that's just kind of like instinct is such a key word there. You know, it's like, that's like our natural way, but also like society and culture can like lead the people astray from that men can become more feminine. (laughs) <laughs> women can become more masculine, you know? Right. And then the power dynamic can also adjust and change all of that as well, you know?
0: Yeah, that, that's why biology is so important when having this discussion and to view it, like I said, from a metaphysical lens, because you don't want to make the biology arbitrary. If you don't have a higher view, it's like, what? why does it matter what my biology is if I can just choose to be something I'm not? So the idea, the idea here is that you're right, there are men who are less masculine, but that begs the question of like, should men be masculine? Is that like, a do we have a moral imperative to be masculine? Because, you know, I, I want to be careful here. And I think a lot of men may, uh, might make this mistake when discussing these things is they say, like, this is what it means to be a man. And they'll describe like ideal patterns that they participate in. And then like, I, I love that language. Like, that's the whole idea about praxis. And masculine idealism to me is that there's an ideal form of man that we, we ought to be striving towards. And we, maybe we can touch on that a little bit later, because it's kind of a, a pretty key part of my, um, my, my, my central philosophy with masculinity. But the idea is that if you focus too much on those things and not enough on like the physical, biological reality, and I realize I'm, I'm now saying like the physical stuff matters when like, five minutes ago, I was saying don't focus <laughs> much on that. But the, the thing is, the problem you run into is if you say being a man means like having these particular virtues, well, the problem is like a lot of women, like females can um, possess those, those virtues. Yeah. Yep. Does that make them men? No. And, and a lot of men would all, you know, have issues with this kind of like transgender ideology get, that gets thrown out that says, you know, a man can be a woman, a woman can be a man, it doesn't matter. You know, I think that uh, Jack Donovan has the best way of addressing this. You know, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with Jack's work in his book, The Way of Men, where he talks about the whole, the difference between being a man and being good at being a man. And there's this idea that like, if you are a biological male, you're a man. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're good at being a man. And this idea of being good at being a man means that there is some ideal form that you as a man can participate in, in like the Platonic sense, for people who are familiar with like Plato and and idealism and, and that kind of philosophy. So it's like you are a man if you're a male, but you can be more of a man. You like become more of a man, as you participate more fully in the ideal, in the ideal form, and that that comes in the in the ideal virtues that are are traditionally masculine, again, hate using the the qualifier traditionally, but just to be clear about what I'm talking about here. So you you want to be careful not to dismiss that kind of binary aspect of like being a man is, in a sense, a matter of biology. But being good at being a man is absolutely not a matter of biology. That's a matter of uh, metaphysics and, and participating more fully in the ideal form and uh, Aquinas would say back to those uh, accidental properties that they impact you in such a way that your ideal form is different from a woman's ideal form you know you don't have the exact same uh, way that you ought to be so you can more fully realize what you are um you know in a sense ordered towards and by order towards i mean like you are your your whole being everything that you are your essence is meant to uh partake in this ideal pattern of being a man of being masculine and you can be uh better at that or worse and it's like in the sense where you're worse you're sort of becoming less of a man and i don't i don't mean that in the sense of like the way a lot of people use like oh you're not a man or you're you're like so you know you're you're less of a man than him there's a sense in which that's true it's not that you know if a man is like super effeminate he stops being a man in the sense of like he's not a male anymore but you would say he's like not fulfilling his purpose he's not doing what he's ordered towards or he's not moving towards that which he's ordered towards being Right. So yeah. it's like this idea of you can become kind of more or less of a man. And Aquinas would actually say, and this is super fascinating, is that as men or women become more ideally masculine or more ideally feminine, they become more human. It's like they they become more of what they are by fulfilling their purpose and, and becoming more of what they're ordered towards. And that's why it's so important. In that kind of like Aristotelian thought of essence and form and matter and all that stuff of you know you have sort of this binary essential realist nature of what you are you know just by the the raw biological material but there's this fuller sense in which that's like the bare minimum of what it takes just to be categorized that way you know it's, you, could, you could think of it this way that being a man the bare minimum is just being a adult human male but then beyond that being more of a man is a matter not of just raw raw biology or raw materiality but it's more of a way of being and and becoming an idea becoming the ideal so yeah it's a long-winded way of saying that biology (laughs) matters but it's not everything and there's a lot more to being a man than just having you know correct chromosomes for
1: example yeah that's awesome yeah like um i covered this on a previous stream um steven mansfield he wrote this book book on or men on fire great book um
0: yeah i've heard of that book i've not read it though
1: he's pretty good he's pretty pretty sound on a lot of things um but he had this interesting take on masculinity in that it's like there's almost three forms so there's like as a man so you're born a male You can either reject masculinity. So you're in this category over here. You're far off. Like what you said, like you're almost like not even a uh, human at that point. Like you're becoming like an animal. Like you're rejecting being like, like you're rejecting living out the purpose that God created you for, which is to become masculine. Mm -hmm. And but then in masculinity, there's like almost three subcategories. There's like when he's basically like, I'll give it to you. There's toxic masculinity. There's traditional masculinity. And then there's righteous masculinity. You know, and it's like, if you could be all macho and masculine, but if you don't have like the logos, logos, like if you don't have like the truth and love of God in you, like you're going to be quote unquote masculine. You're going to be less of that like animal that's rejecting the purpose that God made for you, but you also still are rejecting like what's good, true, and beautiful out in the world. And you're seeking for yourself. You're not seeking to do what's right. You're not seeking to live for just like a purpose that's greater than yourself, You're seeking to, what, get more women and get more status and get more money. It becomes very, like, selfish. And then there's just, like, um, you know, the traditional. Like, you're basically just mimicking. You're basically just copying. You're like, oh, this is what a Greek god did, so I'm going to do that. This is what so-and-so did, so I'm going to, you know, look at that guy. He's ripped. He's got a six-pack. I'm going to have that, too, because that's masculinity. But, like, the reality is, like, righteous masculinity isn't necessarily about, like, being strong or being rich or getting ladies it's like fulfilling your duties fulfilling your oaths like living for a purpose that's greater than yourself like fixating your eyes on eternity like and so masculinity in of itself can be like you know different people can be doing different things and all be a quote-unquote masculine male but are you using that for good are you using that for yourself for your self-serving interests or are you just doing like going through motions are you just following what you think you're supposed to be following But I do like the concept of, like, people who just reject masculinity, who were born as, like, a biological male, you do kind of become lost. Like, you really are. Your outright rebellion is leading you to basically become more animalistic and less of, like, an actual, like, civilized
0: human being. Yeah, because you're not doing what you're meant for, what you're ordered to. that, That idea of order is so important because it's, like, you can't really, like, you can fight against it. But your nature is always going to try to pull you back towards what you're meant to It's like, that's the idea of order is that there's a way it ought to be or a way it is. And when you resist that, like things are not good. Um, What you know, one of the issues I have sometimes with the way a lot of Christian men talk about masculinity is there can be an overemphasis on morality, like being masculine means being like moral or, you know, being pious or whatever. And obviously as a Christian, like, yeah, Christian virtues, I believe are important and every man should embody them. But that doesn't mean that that's the only thing that matters. Um, And and this is where I, I actually disagree with Jack a little bit. Jack Donovan, like I said, in the way of men, where he makes that distinction between being a good man and being good at being a man. I agree that that's a real distinction, but I think that being good at being a man is part of being a good man. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you're a Christian, you might be tempted to think a good man is a man who is moral, who doesn't hurt other peoples and is, is, uh, you know, uses his power and strength to uh, help others. Those are good things, of course. You know, a lot of non-Christians agree that those are virtues that we should try to cultivate in ourselves. But the problem is, like, you have a way you were created that as a Christian, you would assume, you know, you were designed by God to be this way, that God, you know, male and female, he created them. It's right in the creation story. It's deliberate. God made us different for a reason because we're ordered towards different things, like I keep saying. So the idea here is that that comes with a certain level of responsibility and uh, duty, like you mentioned, what you're supposed to do. And there is a sense, right, in which being a good man is not just following a bunch of rules, following, you know, whatever system of morality your tradition has, you know, that's part of it. But being a good man also means being what you were meant to be. It's like got a uh, what we call a teleology. You know, you have a certain end, uh, telos, you know, this word, this Greek word meaning like your end or your purpose. You know, the telos of a knife is to cut. And you determine whether or not that knife is a good knife based on if it can fulfill its purpose of cutting you know if it's dull if it's got chips in it if it's not built well if it's rusted you would say it's it's not a good knife or you could say it a little bit more funny ways it's bad at being a knife and you would say that there's something wrong you know so when, when i hear men say that especially christian men say that being a good man what it means to be a man i'm like i don't know what you mean by that because if you just mean following the rules and helping others and having like a general sense of being moral or being ethical like that's just a a a very short view of what it means to be good you know from a christian perspective being good means fulfilling the end that you were created for being what you're meant to be not doing what you're meant to do. There's a difference, right? A matter of being and a matter of doing. You know, it's a level of ontology. Your 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 being, and your telos, is what you are. Your purpose is. And um, you know, this is in. I guess this is actually the perfect transition into what I was saying before about praxis. You know, praxis is this idea from. You know, it has various thinkers in like the the classical ancient philosophers like Aristotle and Plato who talk about this. You know even before them it's it's discussed but praxis is this idea of like goal oriented action you know a, a way of practicing it, of course it's related to the word practice so it sounds very similar um but sort of enacting ideas and, and practicing so you can even use a sports analogy which when when you say the word practice most people probably think of like athletes yeah. you know they have a certain goal that they're striving towards and their practice is meant to change them in such a way that they can achieve that goal. So the reason I name my page Praxis of Man is to adopt this idea that we have a, a goal, a telos, an end that we are meant for, right? Which you could say is like the ideal form of man. Now, Now, most men, I'll even say all men, do not actually achieve that, at least not in this life. But that doesn't mean that you, you, you don't pursue perfection in perfection in this sense being perfectly what you are meant to be. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, you know, we have this idea of praxis that I'm trying to get out there to people to understand that being a man is not a matter of just doing the right things. Being a man is a, is about being the right thing. Yeah. And that, that requires your active participation in the world right it's not that what you do is not important it's very important but what is important is that you have an ideal in your head of what it means to be a man and you try to enact that in the world and and actually by doing so you change your being right you can think of like a bodybuilder you know they have an ideal form of what they want to look like in their head and they go into the gym and they lift weights and they do cardio and they diet and they're very disciplined And as they do that over time, they change. I understand this is a physical change, not not necessarily on the manner of ontology of like their being, of what they are uh, philosophically speaking. But it's a good analogy, right? As they participate in that regimen, they change what they are and they become different. And, And we as men can do the same thing in regards to our masculine identity and what we do in the world, how we act out in the world We can more perfectly change what we are and become more of a man in in that sense. And it's not talking about like being macho or bravado or whatever, but literally becoming more a more complete version of your own being. So, you know, I'm a Christian and that's, of course, the way I view the world. But it's it's very much related to this uh, theology that we have in the Catholic Church and and especially in the Orthodox Church. Uh, In the Orthodox Church, they call it theosis. Catholics sometimes call it theosis or we call it divinization. But it's this idea that we are created as human beings to become one with God, to become grafted onto Christ and to become part of God's body. Now, we don't mean that we, you know, there's this famous saying by one of the early church fathers, St. Athanasius, that, you know, God became man so that man might become God. It's a pretty scandalous um phrase but what what he means he doesn't mean that we become like an all-powerful being in that sense but we become part of god and we share in his divine life and that's the point of theosis of divinization of deification it's
1: like seeking is that perfection, a... perfection right
0: exactly it's seeking fact, perfection seeking it's...
1: perfection like christ was like christ exactly. is the example of perfection he embodied perfection and then we are supposed to achieve that same state right
0: yeah, and of, and of course, we can't do that on our own. You know, as Christians, we understand this need for grace and for participation, for God to to be the one who is changing us. But it requires our participation. We have to cooperate with God's grace in that sense. Yeah. And, you know, I'm really using this same idea. It's just at a lower level of being. You know, being being masculine is not more important than becoming one with God by achieving theosis or deification. But it's part of it because as I was saying earlier about Aquinas, what we are matters and it changes how we're meant to act out in the world. And as Christians, we would understand that as a man, you are meant to do different things, even in the even in a purely Christian understanding than women are. And that we are meant for different uh, ways of participating in creation. And, and you can understand that at a most fundamental level, just when it comes to reproduction, right? Fundamentally different roles, but that is, in a sense, the most important way that a husband and a wife participate in God's act of creation that divine act of creation that we can actually participate in that by creating new human life. And that requires fundamentally different roles on the parts of the man and on the part of the woman. And that is, of course, related to what we are as human beings, but specifically as men and women. And so the, like I said, the the idea I'm trying to get across to men here is that there is a way you ought to be. There is something you're made for, as a man, and as you know, this applies to women, of too. But of course, as a man, I'm speaking to men. That you have a, a form of being that is ideal, and you should relentlessly pursue that, and that your praxis in the world, right, your goal-oriented action helps you to become in the sense of your being you're more fully what you are meant to be and that's the key philosophy behind everything i'm saying here is helping men to to see the world through that lens of i have a purpose a telos an end i'm made for and my being my ontology is ordering me towards a that that end based just by by virtue of being what i am i have an end in mind just like the knife by virtue of the knife being a knife it has a purpose a creation or as a purpose as a thing in creation that it's made for and we judge its its being its goodness or badness based on how well it fulfills that role and how well it can it can fulfill that role and that if it can't fulfill that role if it cannot achieve its end then it's it's not what it should be and there's a problem there yeah so yeah
1: (laughs) that's amazing that's deep (laughs) yeah that's amazing
0: well thanks yeah i mean that that's just what i'm trying to to get people to realize is like you have to act in the world to change your being like that that's how you you manifest these ideals. It doesn't matter if you like have a good understanding of what it means to be a man. If you're like perfect philosophy, if you never implement it, but the idea is not just, I have an ideal and I'm going to implement it. And that's the end. The idea is by implementing it, you change, like you become more what you are. Yeah. like it actually affects you. And that, that's the key here is that you have to use praxis to change what you are and become more perfect and achieve that. You know, of course the ultimate goal as Christians, like as I said, is to is to achieve that divinization, to become one with God yeah. and to be grafted onto Christ. That's another uh, language we use. And the same thing applies at a lower level for men. That like, it's almost like one rung in the ladder. It's like, you are a man, so you have to become a more perfect man. And by doing so, you become a more perfect human, relating it back to what I said about Aquinas. And by becoming a more perfect human, you become more of what you're made to be, which is the ultimate goal of the human life. And that that's the entire point of creation, by the way, from the, the Christian perspective, is that create we, we were not just made for God's entertainment. Like that, that's kind of what the pagan view of, of creation is. It's like all of these pagan myths and creation stories. You know, the gods are using human beings as slaves, they're breeding with human beings, they're using them as like entertainment. And human beings get caught up sort of in the fights of gods. But that that's not the, the Christian understanding at all, is that God created us specifically to be one with him. And of course, as human beings, we're imperfect because we fell. And so the idea is that from all from all of creation, you know, I was just reading today this great book. I thought I had it near me, but I guess I don't, called The Spirit of the Liturgy by Pope Benedict, who was the Pope before the current Pope. And in that, he t- he talks about how, you know, we have this language in Christianity of, um, you know, men, we were made in God's image, men and women were made in, in God's image. And he has this great sentence um, in this one chapter that I was reading saying that we were made in God's image in advance so that Christ could become incarnate. It's not like Christ was some backup plan because we failed, you know, in the, in the garden. It's like he was the whole point. Because the figure of Christ is actually what marries humanity and God and what makes it he's what makes it possible for us to become one to achieve that that divinization like Christ is the center point of everything he's the 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 hinge on which all of creation turns and he's that that central figure in Christianity because he is actually what takes humanity and takes God and, and marries them together. And that's what we mean when we say like Christ kind of opened up the gates of heaven for us is that that under understanding that properly is that as human beings, we were created for that end. Like that is what we were created for. We were never meant to stay in the garden, right? That That's kind of a, the way most people interpret it is like things were perfect and then we fell. So they weren't perfect. And then we needed Christ to come and save us. And like that, that, that's a low level understanding I think of Christianity. And the, the idea is that, we weren't perfect in the garden. We're not perfect until we become one with God through this divinization process. And that's the entire goal of creation is for everything that is to become one with God, to be divinized. So to understand humanity is to understand that we we were made in God's image, not just God does not love us because we're made in his image. We are made in his image because he loved us and from all eternity destined us to be one with him. And so there's, this is, you know, kind of contentious. Like Aquinas, for example, doesn't answer this question, but he, he, he leans towards the idea that Christ would not have become incarnate if we hadn't fallen. But the Eastern church fathers kind of disagree. And they, they, their view is that Christ was always meant to be incarnate and that, He is the key to understanding human life, like what we're made for is that even before the fall, Christ was always meant to become incarnate and that he's sort of that way of elevating humanity up to God so that we can be divinized and achieve theosis. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, that that perfect word. I like using it. I love that concept. I think is it you're saying you're saying Theosis, but is it like Theotokos? No, theotokos no. So the, or is that the, a different.
0: No, so they the, those are two different concepts. Like yeah, so so Theotokos just means Mother of God in oh, Greek. Okay, okay. So, yeah. yeah, that that's yeah. the what they call. I guess uh, i uh, Mary, yeah. Blessed Mother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That. Yeah. yeah, Theos, and so yeah, of course, like all my friends in real life are like no one's perfect, but Jesus, no one will ever be perfect, but Jesus, you know, and well, it's, like, it's true. Yeah. Well, yes. It's not like we,
0: yes. it's not like what we do. Like we don't make ourselves perfect. That's not possible because we're humans. We're not God,
1: but I feel like but, it's like, but God, God like, wants
0: to perfect us. That's the whole point right. of creation. That's why he created anything is to make it perfect. You know, it doesn't make sense. Otherwise, why would God and all loving God, all powerful God create anything unless his right. desire was for it to be perfected. Right, and, and God's plan
1: other. is perfect, and we are a part of his plan. So why Absolutely. wouldn't we be perfect, you know?
0: Yeah, but then this and now we're not perfect now, but we can, yeah. through participating in in, in a, uh, working with God's grace, we can become perfect. And, and no, no, you know, hardly anyone we believe achieves that in this life. And that's why there's this theology of, like, uh, purgatory, which is really, you know, people kind of get that twisted. They think it's like punishment for what you did on earth. And then once you serve your time, you can go into heaven like that. That's not what purgatory is. Purgatory is a, a period of pur- purification by which we burn off in a sense, not, not in the sense of like, you know, it's hard to say. Maybe it'll be painful and uncomfortable because any purifying process is. But it's this idea of becoming more holy so that we can become one with God. It's like this final purification so that God can make us one with him you know that's one way to understand it
1: yep yeah (laughs) but i like i i just feel like when people deny that that concept of theosis it's almost a cop-out it's almost uh I'm i'm never gonna be perfect so i'll just keep sinning i'll just keep doing what i'm doing i'll try a little bit maybe maybe i'll try tomorrow you know and it's like or listen to the words of christ and follow him relentlessly Follow me. Do as I do. Like say it. Like do this. You will do greater works than me. Like there's so many examples you can point to. Like John loved to write about that that concept of like striving to become perfect, striving to overcome your sin. Like you're not gonna do it on your own. You're gonna need God. You're gonna need Jesus. That's the point of His existence in human form. But like the idea of you need what you're saying is like you strive for perfection, and it is possible at the end of the day. It's not right. gonna happen on your own. <laughs> you're not gonna will it yourself. No. But you—that doesn't also mean that you can just sit around going like, "I'll wait for him to do it for me." <laughs>
0: yeah, my, my most wait. recent that's blog okay. post was about that. Yeah, yeah my my yeah. most recent blog post that it was titled "You're Not Perfect." Or it was no, you're not perfect just the way you are. And you know, yeah. that's something we hear <laughs> in society all the time. Yeah. you're perfect you love yourself you know yeah, you're the, great flip fine
1: that around in the secular world it's i'm per- yeah exactly what you're saying i'm perfect yeah, i don't have to do anything i don't have to change yeah. i don't have that
0: to is a that. terrible <laughs> way of viewing human love. because, because yeah. by, by saying that you're just lying to yourself you know what, what, what i said earlier about love right is to will the good of the other but but if you want to apply that to yourself right this whole like love yourself culture yeah. <laughs> to love yourself truly means to will your own good. And I don't mean that in a selfish way. I mean that you should desire what is actually good for you, for your own self. You know, if you you had a a relative, a family member, a spouse or a child who was doing something actively bad for them, you would not be loving them by just like tolerating it. By saying like, no, you're perfect the way you are. It's okay. Like keep doing this thing that's bad for you. No, you'd be enabling them and you'd be not loving them. Right. You'd be allowing bad things to happen to them. Um, Yeah. So this idea that like we should be satisfied with what we are now, because like we should just love ourselves and we should accept who we are. That's nonsense. And that is a terrible that's a, that's a derogatory view of human life. It's to basically look at humanity and say you are imperfect, but I'm going to just like change my value system to make vice desirable now. Yeah. And that that's, people think that by doing that, they're sort of giving themselves more inherent value by saying like, oh, I love myself with my flaws and I'm sort of elevating my flaws. No, the way that you practice self-love is by purging your flaws from you because you recognize that you are a being worth that. You you deserve, not, not in the sense of like, you know, in an arrogant prideful way, like I deserve to be perfect, but in the sense that because you are a creature that can kind of climb this hierarchy of being, you know, you ought to do that for your own sake, because it's good for you. It's genuinely good for you to become more perfect. So, you know, this culture of like, trying to get people to be satisfied with what they are is, is, is really toxic. It's not good for human beings. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's some nuance here because I'm not saying that people should beat themselves up over their imperfection. Cause that's not good either. That's not healthy. Cause that doesn't actually help you achieve perfection. It doesn't help you climb that ontological ladder towards God, right? There's this beautiful icon in the, uh, in the Christian tradition called the, um, the ladder of divine ascent. Yeah. And it's like a, a bunch of Christian figures kind of climbing this ladder, that has all these rungs and at the top of the ladder is god christ meeting them kind of as they enter to heaven and then up uh, as the ladder is going up you see all these figures kind of falling down and there's like these demons pulling them like
1: pulling them yeah. Like,
0: yeah, yeah this idea that like they they fell off the ladder and they failed to achieve that theosis but if you continue to climb you can you can become more perfect and so you know to to, to look at human life and say I'm fine where I am in the ladder is really not healthy and you know you don't want to beat yourself up over your imperfections because then that can kind of stagnate and cause you to sort of uh shut down and and feel like you're worthless like that's not what I'm saying either I'm not saying that you should obsess and you know hate yourself and, and, and try to beat yourself up over your flaws but to have a healthy understanding that you're not perfect to have enough self knowledge and self awareness to know where your personal limitations are, and to work extremely hard to try to overcome those, like that's treating yourself like something that you love. Because you're you're looking at your life, what you're made for what you are, and saying I'm made for greatness. And so I'm going to pursue greatness. And not try to convince myself that greatness is bad. Like that's what happens. Is they look at <laughs> virtue, they look at they look at good things and then they say that that is bad. You shouldn't want that. And that's that is like the most twisted yeah. demonic yeah. thing I can think of. Yeah. You know that
2: that's what,
0: that's what that's what demonic people. means. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what demonic means to take what's good and invert it. Like there's this idea in Christianity that you know, only God can 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 do a pure act of creation. To create ex nihilo out of nothing and that the understanding is that satan like lucifer was jealous because he doesn't have this power and so to be demonic is not to create evil things because you, you cannot create evil right evil is not a, a thing you know it, it's sort of like a force or or the opposite of good the we, we call it like an absence of good
1: like how darkness isn't it doesn't exist it's an right. absence exactly. of exactly yeah
0: that's exactly right so this idea is that a demonic force does not create evil things it corrupts good things and inverts them and that's exactly what happens in our world with this and everything is inversion yeah that's how you can tell that things are are evil right yeah like you look at um even the transgender thing like it's it's not about getting literally i'm
1: gonna (laughs) about
0: changing it and swapping it you know virtue becomes vice yeah Things that were previously good are now bad, and that—that's like the best definition of of things being sort of demonic that I can I can say. It's like when you see things that are good, people trying to convince you they're bad. That is like a huge red flag, man. That is yeah. like, oh, you—you you are really an agent of chaos, man. <laughs> like yeah. trying to tear, like you said, tearing down walls. Like you're not a builder. You're an agent of chaos you're trying to just like tear down everything that's good yeah because it you resent it and that that's what's happening in the world and it's it's everywhere
1: yeah there's a pretty eye-opening thing in the um this i don't know is it the satanic bible or whatever the anton LaVey satanic church guy
0: i'm not sure yeah i've never really read like that stuff, <laughs> the guy who like started from the, satanic the church or satan or whatever <laughs> yeah but it's eye-opening
1: because like as a christian like, you know i read it and it's like I read it back in the day in, in, in college, and then I reread okay. it as a Christian, almost as like, let's study the enemy, right? Mm. And there's a profound, there's a lot of there's a lot of insights, but a thing that really caught my eye is you know, he's writing um the seven deadly sins, right? Do them. It's they're good. And so the whole point is to invert Christianity. So like, as a Christian, you're like, don't, you know, don't be prideful, don't have sloth. Don't, you know, avoid these bad things. And a Satanist goes, do them, do them as much as possible, as often as possible. And it's that core philosophical concept of exactly what you're talking about, like taking what's good and twisting it to be something bad, take something bad and twist it to be something good, you know, and actively invert and subvert everything that's good, true and beautiful and make it evil, false and ugly. And then lie and promote that as something good and virtuous, you know, twist the definitions of things, change the definitions of things, you know, Um, and get everything away from an objective truth and into subjective truth, because then you can twist and manipulate and change anything as a, as a, you know, you can change truth, quote unquote, to suit your needs in the moment. There's not some objective truth that is what's coming from God, you know, what's coming from existence and from creation. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I don't recommend just like going and reading it, but <laughs> no, <laughs> it's, it's using discernment. Yeah. Like, it's actually some insights you can learn from the enemy's playbook in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, do you think that um, men are failing women in our modern times?
0: It's an interesting question. Um, <laughs> I, I'll say, I'll say it this way the best way men can help women is by being good men. And what I, mean, what I mean by good men is not a question of morality. Like I said before, it's being good at being what they are supposed to be. Yep. And when men are not that, it hurts men, but it hurts women too. And the same as vice versa, by the way, you know, there's this kind of masculinity and femininity as, as opposites, but you know, symbolically represented by chaos and order you don't want to have too much order because then that's tyrannical right and if you have uh you know too much chaos that's just that's chaos there's no order there's no structure and it's this chaotic existence which is not good so the the idea and a lot of people get upset with this like idea of complementarianism and yeah. I don't really understand what their issue is, but... <laughs> to me, it's um,
1: obvious, but yeah, I get so much pushback on it. Yeah, yeah and, from and the Christians, idea is that... From self-professing, you know, Christians... Right. ...who quote-unquote study the word. <laughs> that's what yeah. like they do or they don't. They claim to. Yeah. But it just it seems to be so blatantly obvious, but yet there's alternate.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, so the <laughs> idea is that if, if, there, if, there, if that harmony is out of order, you know, if, if there's some... If there's not harmony there then both parties, men and women end up getting hurt and people can, can bicker about the current state of affairs. Whose fault was it? Did men stop doing what they were supposed to do and allow feminism to take hold or did the feminists like push the men out and they did it like, you know, sometimes those can be useful conversations, but the idea really is, is that it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like who, who started about well, just pointing fingers is not going to solve our problems here. The the solution is for everyone, again, like I keep saying, to strive for perfection. So if you say our men failing women, I would say that if men are not making a point to be more of what they are, that is a man to achieve that that perfection to strive towards masculine idealism to become the ideal. They're hurting themselves, and women, and everybody. So, it's kind of an indirect way of answering your question, but I think that that's the right. I think that's the right way to look at it, you know, because because I don't want to say that what they're what what men are that the only thing men have to do is is care about what what women need, because I don't think that's true. But at the same time, that that's because women are a part of all of our lives to some degree, whether it's our mother, our siblings, our spouse, our Our daughters you can't just say that men can't pay attention to women or they shouldn't or they should just ignore what they need and only focus on what men want like that's a bad way of looking at it also so i think the best way is to look at you know again what are you made for what are you supposed to be and then realize that when you fail to climb that ladder of perfection when you fall into hell so to speak you know using the image from the icon i was describing everybody suffers around you because of that and people can feel that, man. Like when you grow up in a house that has, a, a, you know, two parents who are just kind of, you know, the father's not very good. He's not very masculine. And the mom's not very feminine. And there's just dynamic is off. Like the, the kids suffer. The marriage suffers. And it's not good for anybody. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. I am the result of that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, me too, man. Like me and my siblings uh, fell into chaos and disorder and heathenism and hedonism, you know. Yeah. It was not a good result for anybody. Divorce, you know. Yeah. When they didn't live up to the roles that God created them to become or live into, walk into. Yeah. My next question was I'll I'll reframe it, but it was how do we rebuild the men? But going off what you just said, I guess I should change it to how do we rebuild the men and the women?
0: <laughs> yeah, so I've made a point on my blog and on my instagram page to not really talk about uh what women should be doing because i'm not a woman and it's not really my place and of course i have as a christian have a pretty decent understanding i think of of like masculine and feminine dynamics but i don't really think it's my job to to tell women how they should be you know if a woman was trying to tell men how to be i don't think most men would listen and i think that you know that that doesn't mean that How we how we feel about women and femininity isn't important, but I I just don't think that that's the the main focus. I I think the best way to help men get back on track is to convince them to to spend time with other men. I think that that's really important. I think it's important for men to have male friends, at least a couple, that they can hang around with. And you know I, I don't know if it's a generational thing, but a lot of the you know, my dad and my friends' dads, like they didn't really have friends. Like they didn't hang out with their friends. I know some people might have had that experience where, like, yeah, my dad has buddies, and they all like they go and hang out and go go drinking like occasionally, or they'll go to a sports game together, or maybe they they even have like a hobby they all do. Like so, some some young men grow up with a dad who who spends time by himself with other men, and that that's good. I think that there's this idea that like 100% of our time needs to be focused on either work or family. And the problem with that is if you don't spend time actually taking care of yourself, you're not a good provider and you're not a good father. You know, there's this uh, old phrase like the king eats first. And there's this, this sense that if the king doesn't take care of himself, he can't take care of his kingdom. So if you, as a, as a man, you know, have these responsibilities towards your family, towards your children, your spouse, like if you're completely depleted, if you have an empty cup, you can't pour from an empty cup. You need to fill your cup. And I think that the best way for men to kind of collectively fill their cup is to spend time around other men, to nourish each other, to challenge each other, to push each other, to be better. Because you kind of have this collective honor system where the men in your group, you all have an ideal. That's kind of what makes you a group, by the way, is having a a common identity, a common uh, ethos, like a mission, a purpose. And having you all aligned, going in the same direction, you can hold each other accountable and you all get better for that reason you all you know you you all go up together so to speak you all climb the ladder together so you know i think that's important for women too obviously that they should spend time with other women and help each other and have that sense of camaraderie to have, share a common understanding of the world and then to push each other and to hold each other accountable and to understand that we're here for a purpose and we're here to help each other more fully achieve that so i i honestly it's simple advice and i i think it's the the best advice like i have a group of guys who's a a close group on like we're mostly online and we have like this this big group of guys that we all are accountable to each other we all help each other but it's important to take that offline as well like i've met these guys in person we've met up in person even though we're from all over the country and we we've been together in in physical space. Now, I think it's important to regularly experience that too. I think if you want to have like a, a, an online tribe of guys, like that's great. That's good. Because you, you kind of have access to them 24 seven. Yeah. But you need to also have a physical group. And I have a group of dads at my church who are they're all young guys. You know, they're not, um, you know, they're all under the age of 40, I think. So we're all between like 25 and 40, somewhere in there. And we all have a couple of kids. So the idea is that, you know, we all have something in common. We're all fathers. We all, you know, yeah. have the, the the common goal of like being good fathers, being good men. And we're all Catholic because, I'm like I said, it's a group of guys from my church. But we made the, the, the deliberate decision to make this group of dads. And we meet up like at least once a month to do something, whether it's like talk philosophy, you know, go get a drink, smoke a cigar, uh, watch a movie together, or, you know, watch like a, a talk or a speech and then share our thoughts about it. Um, even, even something simple as like going down to like the local park and like playing a game of basketball together, like that stuff matters. Like men being men alone by themselves is a powerful thing. And men need to do that more. So if, if you're a guy listening to this and you are serious about this masculinity thing, you need to, your first priority is to go find other guys. Cause if you don't like, you can't, you can't do this solo men have never been lone wolves. I know that's kind of a weird thing in our culture to like, I'm a lone wolf and I'm so tough. Like lone wolves are not good. They're rejected by the pack. (laughs) Yeah, they're betas, right? They're rejected by the pack. They're alone. They probably will die and get eaten by some other animal because they don't have a tribe to protect them. Like don't, don't be a loner. Don't be the reject of the pack who has no friends. Like that's not healthy for you right? But it's not good for the people around you either. Because what is happening in this dynamic is like the other, the other fathers that I'm around, they're making me a better father. And my wife and my son get to reap the benefit of that as well. Like I do, of course, because being a better father, like I keep saying, being a better father is not just good for my wife and for my son. It's good for me. Like it it makes me more of what I'm supposed to be. And that's good for me. So this idea is like your tribe helps you and and then by you becoming better, helps everyone around you. And then that's like a, it's sort of this infinite circle of improvement, right? Because as I become a better father, then I'm a better father within my tribe as well. And then I, I can help the other man in that tribe because I'm better now right I improve and then that improvement spreads to other men and then they improve and then they help me improve and then I help them improve it's this continuous cycle of everybody going up and like you can't really do that alone it's or at least it's extremely difficult to do that alone so you you just need to find other men and just be in the physical space together and and be real with them and and make sure you have a common aim you share the same principles. Because if you have just a group of guys, but you all disagree on what it means to be a man, like, you know, you don't have to agree on every single detail, but if you don't have like a a pretty common idea, then that's gonna be useless because you're all pulling each other in different directions and that's not good. So find a a group of guys who share your values, who you can be together with and work with together to make everyone in the group better. Like that's, it's so simple, but that is the number one thing men should
1: be doing right now. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's a big point that I brought up Stephen Mansfield. He says it in that book I mentioned, but just in general and his other works, like, he calls it the band of brothers. And yeah. And it's, like, really extremely crucial for men. Especially if you're a man aspiring to become a better man, you have to be doing it with other men who are also trying to become better men. And, yeah, Iron sharpens Iron, like, it's biblical, you know. We are to fellowship. Like, that's not... <laughs> Just some silly advice or whatever. It's like very important and very meaningful for us to be fellowshipping with with believers, with like minds. And seeking perfection together. You know, seeking to become better men together. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Also, he said it, and I've heard it in other places, but he said in this book that like one of the greatest miracles Jesus ever pulled off was getting 12 new friends in his 30s. Yeah, <laughs> it's that's like so true. Like every man, like in his twenties or thirties, is like, yep, yeah. <laughs> yep, so true. That's we a great don't like to find new friends. Like he and the yeah. Stephen you know, Mansfield makes this point of like, usually guys like we we have our buddies in high school or maybe college, and then those are just our buddies. <laughs> yeah. we don't that's, like to be late. We'll put up with our yeah. crap. We'll keep them in our lives because we just don't like to change, but sometimes we need to. Like if they're You know, I I did this just a few years ago. I had a bunch of friends. All of a sudden, I encounter Christ. I am just completely transformed. I'm now on a totally new mission, sobering up, changing everything I'm doing. And I'm looking at all my friends around me and they're toxic, they're lazy, they're drug addicts, they're non-believers, you know. And it was rough just being like, dude, I can't be associated with you anymore. It is rough. It is tough. But it was like absolutely necessary to happen because those guys were not elevating me. They were tearing me down. They were pulling me back down. How dare you get sober? You're not like us. You know, how dare you, like, get healthy? You're not supposed to do that. That's foolish. How dare you, like, be Christian? That's just some stupid cult. You know, you're, you're being an idiot. It's like these people yeah. are going to drag you down instead of, like you're saying, like, inspiring you to be greater as you're inspiring them to be greater and overcoming your obstacles together and, like, keeping each other accountable through the battles together, you know? it's so crucial to do that and also be willing to shed your like toxic relationships that you probably are holding on to from your childhood or from your college years or early twenties or whatever. Cause there's good, that's going to happen too, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's,
0: a, that's a perfect example. Like what happens? Christ, the, the perfect man comes into and gathers a group of men unto himself. And then what happens to those men? They all become saints they all become perfect except for the one the one who betrays oh, yeah. him doesn't and he gets cast out from the group right he leaves the group and he chooses but that that that's the key right you know i'm not i'm not saying that the, the point of the biblical story is about a group of men becoming better together that's like such a, of, but it's it's, about it's, a it is flow. an aspect of the story it is an aspect yeah. of the story and 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 you have the perfect man pulls pulls those other men up right his presence and his effect on them pulls in and, that, and that's by the way, that's the like I said earlier is the entire point of Christ is to pull humanity up into God and that that's even happens at a micro level within just just the apostles where they're around Christ and he pulls them into himself and elevates them all up into greatness and like that you you can not obviously we're not Christ, we can't <laughs> achieve it to the same degree, but we, we can mimic that by like again. Iron sharpens iron by having that, that group of men that we do that with, you know? Yeah. <laughs>
1: that's awesome. Um, do you think we're living in the best of times or the worst of times?
0: <laughs> I think that, um, <laughs> let we <me> think. <laughs> I think that there or is both. a time right now for opportunity. <laughs> that, that's what I think. And I I think that we spend a lot of time as men complaining that the world is not the way we we would want it to be. And I I get it. There There are problems in the world, but masculinity has always, always been elevated through adversity. That's kind of like one of the points of masculinity is to be able to contend, right? To create order out of chaos. You know, if we're living in chaotic times, it's painful, but it's a time of opportunity for men to be what they've always been, which is the creators of order to come into the the chaos and to stabilize it. So, you know, there are definitely aspects about life in the 21st century that are really bad. But at the same time, it could be a lot worse. You know, we're not all starving to death, not yet at least.
2: You
0: know, we're not all, like, having to defend our camp from, like, a group of invading barbarians. But what happened, you know, when historically men had to do those things or go off to war? You know, it was an opportunity for them to climb the ladder. It was an opportunity for them to, to become more masculine to become more of a man and to use that conflict you know that that chaos in the world as like a as like a rung on the ladder to pull themselves up and i think that you know it's definitely not the worst of times and it's not the best of times you know there's a lot wrong that needs to be fixed and the the world will never be perfect but i think that the best way to approach the current state of affairs is to see the world as full of opportunity that we can participate with to actualize to practice to you to you know use our praxis you know use it as a weapon to perfect yourself and i, I think that that's a fundamentally christian idea that our suffering is not meaningless Right, if God does not exist, if we're just like total nihilists, suffering is just suffering. And it's pointless and it sucks. And there's just like, it's really easy to slip into despair when that's your point of view. But if you're a Christian, you understand that your suffering is not pointless because it has like a redemptive quality to it. It purifies you. And you can actually weaponize suffering. You know, that's the story of, of the, the crucifixion it's not like something bad happening to a good person like that's not the story of the cruise of the of christ's passion the story of christ's passion is that he uses death to defeat death right the the the, the cross historically speaking you know is a, is a roman torture device that the people of that time would have associated with pain suffering you know humiliation agony it's a horrible thing and it would have been a horrible symbol to see a cross yeah. you know i i know people say like oh the crosses didn't actually look like that they were just like a stake in it. like whatever get out of here you get what i'm saying whatever that symbol is christ uses it to defeat death know he takes what he takes death and bludgeons death with it you know the early christians used to talk about christ's humanity being like a, a a worm on a fish hook and his divinity was the hook you know christ's humanity is the bait his divinity is the hook and he lures the enemy in satan death the demonic he lures them in with his humanity and when they bite, when they think they have him, they realize, oh, this was the point. Yeah. He was not. This was not something happening to Christ. This was Christ happening to the world. Yeah. He was. He was the aggressor. He was attacking death. And you know, we we have an opportunity to sort of mimic that by taking this chaotic world, this death and using it to our advantage and by by allowing suffering in that sense to redeem us by put by elevating us because it actually has meaning now when i suffer i can use that as a sacrifice it's, it's like a form of worship right you know you understand worship in in the old testament in the new testament um you know in, in other re- religious traditions worship is sacrifice You know, you offer, you kill an animal and you eat it. You burn incense. You offer it to God. And there there is a sense, right? And again, to go back to that book I was just telling you about um, by Pope Benedict that I'm reading right now, The Spirit of the Liturgy. He talks about this, how when when a human being sacrificed something, um, whether it's to a God in an act of worship or whatever, we tend to think of that as an act of destruction. But that's the wrong way to look at it. Because God is not delighting in the destruction of something. What that is, that sacrifice, is like taking that material, that matter, that part of creation and perfecting it, right? Um, and, and of course, as a Catholic, you know I, I believe in the Eucharist and the real presence that, that, that the host, the bread and the wine literally become the body, blood, soul and divinity of, of Christ. That's just what we believe. And the idea is that this matter, this bread that we that we consecrate that becomes Christ. We're not destroying the bread. We're perfecting it. It's be, It's becoming divinized. It's achieving theosis that created matter because it's becoming perfect. It's becoming one with God. And that's the whole point of creation. Like I said before, is that everything becomes divinized becomes one with God in that act of sacrifice is not an act of destruction it's an act of perfection you're not destroying it you're perfecting it and in the same sense when we as human beings sacrifice in some way materially spiritually emotionally whatever you can take that sacrifice and you offer that to god and it perfects you it 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 helps you to perfect yourself it's like a little act of worship where you take the sacrifice and you offer it up and that can transform you and there's a sense in which men as as masculine men can can imitate that whereas you don't look at adversity and conflict as just an act of destruction it's an act of purification and of growth yeah. and i i think that that's the best way to look at it it's like this is a time of opportunity like, take the sacrifice, take the pain, embrace it, and then offer it to God. Like, whatever God is to you. I'm not, I say all these things, and obviously I'm a Christian, so I, I say it from a Christian point of view. But I think that if you're not a Christian, you can understand what I'm saying. Like, even if you don't believe in the Christian God or whatever, you you understand what I'm saying about sacrificing, like, offering up to the highest thing. Whatever that is to you. Like, don't, don't just like wallow in nihilism and despair and you know not act and get hung up on the imperfections of the world like don't be cynical look at the imperfections and use them as a weapon and offer it up to whatever your your god is whatever the highest good in your life is like that's what you that's what's god to you right people have this like caricature of god like he's this old man in the sky with a a beard like that's just a, that's just a straw man that people make yeah, of, yes. of God yeah. to attack. <laughs> the, the, the really thing is like, God is, is not a concept. He's more than a concept. He is a being that's what we believe, but everybody has something that acts as God in their life, their highest good, the the transcendental truth, the thing, the logos, the thing that orders all of reality, like that is God. And everybody has a God, whether it's themselves or something else, yeah. you know? And the idea is that, whatever you believe, you offer that sacrifice to God, and it'll elevate you. Like that's the point.
1: That's awesome. Um, so a few more questions here, and then we'll wrap up. But uh, yeah, do you have any questions for me?
0: For you? Yeah, let me. Uh, I I always one thing I, I do like to, to ask men, right, is what do you think the most important masculine virtue is? Because I, I find it interesting because different men kind of approach this with a, a different eye. And I think it's interesting to see how how men value certain things differently. And I, I recognize that not every man should be exactly the same. You know, what, being an ideal man, Well, I, I do believe that there is like that, that reality to the ideal form of man. I don't expect every man to be like a mirror image of each other. Like we have different strengths and weaknesses. So uh, I I do want to know what you think is kind of the most important masculine virtue.
1: So I would say faith. Interesting. Um, Kind of touched on it last week, so I won't bring the whole thing up. But, um, you know, faith, loyalty, hope is kind of the the tagline I use, the phrasing I use, the pillars, I guess, of my life. And it comes from, like, my family words. I don't know the right phrasing of that. My family crest, family motto, <laughs> family oath okay. or whatever. Um, and I f- discovered that after I had become a Christian. And it was kind of like, oh, at first it was like, oh, that's cool. Like, oh, yeah, those are cool. Those are cool things, you know. Dope. My family's dope, you know. But then you really started to, like, pray on it and meditate on it and really kind of, like, the this just like profound revelation that, like, those three things – if you like center and focus your life on them are so deep and so profound and so meaningful to like myself and to men at large. And I think it's like a, the order isn't a mistake either. I think it all starts with faith. It's what, where's your heart at? Where is your soul at? And it needs to be focused on God. Like your eyes need to be fixated on eternity. It needs to be focused 100% on God first and foremost. And then after that, loyalty can branch off into so many different directions. Like you need to be loyal to your friends, your family, your, your wife, your children. Like it's your oaths, it's your contracts, it's your actions. It's what you're doing in the world. You're being loyal to those people around you that need you. And it's like your action. And then hope is after that, which is like your mind. Where's your mind at? Where's your mental at? And it needs to be optimistic, trusting, trusting hopeful for something greater in the future you know your your actions need to be dictated by the hope you have in the glory that is to come in the long run in the end but also in like the next moment ahead of you and so those three things I would say are the three things I like to focus on as like a man being a man is focusing on those three core principles but I think I do truly believe faith is like first for a reason it all starts from faith those other two things will be guided by your faith you will, by default, end up being loyal to your wife and your children if you are being righteous, if your heart is seeking righteousness at all times. Um, so it might not actually be like a masculine virtue <laughs> per se, but those are kind of like the a breakdown of just kind of like where my heart's at and where I think men in general's yeah. like heart should be at or focus should be on.
0: Oh, yeah, no, I dig it, man.
1: Yeah, it was, it was kind of a profound thing to like... Because I just was like, oh, I might as well start researching my family. <laughs> like, where did I come from, you know? It seems like it's important. And my the rest of my actual family has kind of just totally disregarded it, forgotten about it entirely. But um, so Corey's my my last name. So like the male line is Corey. And it's actually like a pretty... Like a really deep, interesting history that dates back to like... Um, there's a handful of like priests in like the 13, 1400s in England um the whole story about how like my super duper duper great grandfather was knighted by um king charles that's awesome so he's knighted by charles and then you know a few years later charles is the king that got like overthrown and beheaded yeah so like all the people who got knighted were like ooh, uh yikes uh time to leave
0: (laughs) oh man that's that's an interesting family history
1: so i think they were like really well regarded priests of norfolk and see, I don't even know where this is, but Norfolk, England. It's like north of London or something. And they okay. were very like well-regarded members of the community. And then they finally got knighted. And then all the revolution happened. And so my family was like, "All right, we gotta get out of here." <laughs> Came to America, and then my super duper duper great uncle is Giles Corey, who was um, murdered in the Salem witch trials. Oh, he's okay. kind of a famous like those crucible story is based on him. Um, Kind of a really impressive guy who refused to admit that his wife was a witch, you know, and was gruesomely, like, tortured to death and persecuted. Um, Damn. It's like (laughs) a lot of interesting history of, like, just men of God who stood up for what was right, you know? And that's, like, something that, like, we should kind of be taking pride in. I mean, I guess pride (laughs) might not be the best, but we should appreciate their works and like kind of try to emulate them. Like you were saying earlier with the saints, like why not take inspiration from that? Why not try to like live up to their legacy? And like, I look around at the rest of my family and they're just like, they could care less, you know? So I'm trying to like rebuild that. Like you said, like, yeah, I don't have to like sit around and wait about my, wait for my family to do it or like complain that they're not doing it. I'm just like taking it upon myself to like, make sure that like the Corey family continues and becomes better than it was before. Like, I'm going to do a better job than my dad was. And hopefully my sons will do a better job than I did. And we can kind of, like, restart that family line, like you were mentioning earlier. Because it's yeah. an interesting history, an interesting past. And, like, they kind of... Somewhere along the line, someone knew it was up with the uh, faith, loyalty, hope, you know, slogan or motto. Um, it's not, like, a accidental phrase. You know, that's very, like, well-thought-out, meaningful words. So... Um, yeah, well, I have one final question for you. But before that, do you want to do like any plugs or shout outs and
0: kind of yeah, let sure, people know yeah, they um, can find you? yeah. So I'm most active on uh, Instagram. That's kind of my main outlet right now. Uh, it's just at Praxis of Man, like you said in the beginning. Um, I'm also on Twitter, same handle, Praxis of Man. I'm pretty active over there, but don't have you know as as big of an audience. But you know, trying to grow it, of course. And then on my website is where all of my writing is um right now I do have a newsletter that I'm, I'm starting I'll be sending the first issue out at the beginning of April actually and that that you know so far most of my writing has been in the form of like blog posts which are kind of long form essays and I have them all up on my website and I'll, I'm going to keep posting that stuff on my website but I wanted to create a newsletter to sort of You know, for people who want my writing to go right to their inbox, there's that purpose, but it's also going to be kind of like a little bit more fleshed out, it's not just going to be like one essay boom, it's going to have a lot of other stuff I'll be talking about regularly, Um, you know, different things relating to theology to, to, you know, Catholicism um you know sharing things about books i'm reading so it's going to be like actual newsletter you know i'll have a long form essay but then i'll also have other smaller sections that i'll be doing you know at least once a month so if you want to check that out there's a link uh in my instagram bio that you can um you can subscribe and and that would be you know the best way to probably keep up with with what i'm doing going forward so so yeah that's that's where you can find me. Uh, yeah it's yeah. the link tree uh link in my instagram bio yeah and then I, I think it's the first link it just says like subscribe to my newsletter
1: yeah, yeah i think it's l-i-n-k-t-r dot E slash practice a man
0: that sounds right yeah link
1: tree yeah that's a good good little site
0: yeah yeah it's super handy Yeah.
1: <laughs> It's like bad when you like pay for a website, you make a big giant website, you spend all this time and then someone's like, Hey, have you heard of this thing? And it's like, man, Yeah, it's, like a, it's
0: like a mini <laughs> website that you can just put in your bio. Yeah, I know. It always happens that way.
1: Right on. We have my final question is, uh, did you have a fun time tonight?
0: I did. Yeah. No, this was one of my favorite <laughs> conversations I've actually had on a, on a podcast.
2: Um, yeah.
0: I was get to like. You know, some of the people I've talked to aren't necessarily Christian, some of them are. So it, it's always kind of tricky navigating, um, having some conversations with people because, you know, while we, we obviously share similarities, you know, most of the people I'm talking to are like pro-masculinity, trying to yeah. help men. So we have like a, a common goal, but we don't necessarily have a common worldview. So, yeah. you know, talking to people who are, are religious or at least Christian, is, is pretty helpful because, you know, you kind of have this like underlying assumption of like, we agree on more than just the masculinity thing. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, you probably noticed I was kind of tying a lot of things into religion and, and stuff. And the point of me doing that is not to like proselytize to people. Like I'm not trying to evangelize. Um, if people think what I'm saying is interesting and they want to know more, like that's awesome. I'm always happy to like answer questions, talk to people about, you know, religion. That's great. But I think that the nice thing about these ideas is that you don't have to be a Christian to understand, but like when you explain them in a sort of Christian way, it can make more sense to people. And I think that that's a, kind of a useful tool. So like, if anything I said tonight was like, well, what does that have to do with Christianity? I don't understand. Or, you know, I'm not a Christian, so that doesn't apply to me. Like, don't, don't think that way. You know, that as Christians, we understand our story is like a universal story. It doesn't just apply to Christians. They're like the, the Christian thing is that, that we take the world and we Christify it. But that's the whole point. Like, I, and that's all related to the theosis thing. We take everything and we bring it into our tradition. People don't like that we do that, and that's fine. I get it. <laughs>
2: yeah. But like,
0: there's everything is accounted for. You know, we, we, we have a way of taking these outside phenomenon and sort of bringing them in to participate in our mysteries. And so if you're not a Christian, like, that's okay. That doesn't mean that what I said about it isn't applicable to you. You know, you can just sort of understand the, like, pattern of what's happening in a mythological sense even and apply that to your life. It, it even goes back to what I was saying about Shakespeare and about these, you know, m- myths, that it doesn't matter necessarily if they happened or not like i believe the christian story and the truth of it but i also explained that it goes beyond like just you know historical events you know that's not the the, actually the importance of the the christian story is not really the historical reality it's like the the non-visible reality that we believe is behind these things So, you know, even if you don't believe in Christianity, like that's, that's okay. You don't need to, to understand what I'm saying most of the time about these things. And even in my audience, like on Instagram, my account is not like a Catholic account. I am a Catholic talking about masculinity. But that doesn't mean that everything I say is about Catholicism. It's not, you know, being a Christian informs my, my worldview and how I look at things. And of course, to me that's what religion is right it's not like ethics or morality like that's that's a lower level part of what a religion is a religion is a way of of looking at reality and understanding the world it's so much it's like way beyond ethics and morals like that's like a low low level part that that is downstream of kind of this this way of looking at the world yeah that's what religion is so you know you may not agree with my frame but that doesn't mean that the parts of it, like, you don't understand. So, you know, just like you can take universal truths out of Shakespeare and out of, like, Norse myths and out of, you know, the epic of Gilgamesh or, like, whatever, you know, m- famous mythological story you want to take. You know, you can do the same thing with my tradition. And e- even if you don't believe in the literal truth or the even, like, the transcendent truth of it, you can still understand the the, the sort of mythological pattern that's being presented in this religion and then apply it to your life. So, you know, I, I never started my account to be like a Catholic account, trying to evangelize people, yeah. but I am a Catholic and that's how I view the world. So it, it you know, sometimes it will, it'll be a way I, I can explain something that, that maybe will will take it a step further, but the phenomenon of like masculinity and femininity still exists outside of, of my frame. The way, the way I see it is like, I don't want to just talk to Catholics or Christians. I want to talk to everybody. I want to talk to all the men, not just the Christian ones. And so, you know, my religious beliefs inform a lot of, you know, the way I see the world. But that doesn't mean that it's antithetical to like what a non-believer might think. So, you know, just just to say a little bit at the end there, that I think that that's the the key to understanding, I guess, what I'm doing and what, and what I said tonight. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for inviting me on. This was a ton of
1: fun. One. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to have you come back on because I had a whole bunch of other questions we didn't get to about like philosophy and fun philosophy questions and stuff. So Oh sure. Yeah, no, I'd love
0: to come back any anytime. Yeah. Awesome.
1: You are watching or listening to the Jonathan Corey live stream. Be sure to follow and subscribe to my channel wherever you are streaming this and on any of the other sites that you happen to use as well. And be sure to leave some comments or reviews. It would really help me out. You can find my streams on YouTube, Twitch, DLive, Odyssey.com, VK.com, TV.gab, BitChute, Rumble, and on all of the podcast apps. You can read my blogs at shonathancorey.blogspot.com. My main links are at linktree slash ShonathanCorey. and you can find the rest of my links, my older secret content. And my guest appearances on other podcasts or streams at shonathancorey.com.